your friend in the corner there, Kevy? No. Yes, Kevy Mental. Sweethearts, how you doing? It's your girlfriend, Kevy. Um, I'm doing yet another Los Angeles episode of this podcast. Um, by the way, I'm hosting this other podcast now called Comedy Here Often, but that does not mean this podcast will stop. And you know I mean it because I enunciated the word podcast strange, and that's passion and that's emotion. But yeah, man, that, that one is going to be sort of more um, stand-up comedy uh, driven and it's going to be me and always like two comedians so it's like a conversation about the the art of stand-up but I kind of like this to be more one-on-one with me and one other person typically and we mostly talk about music and, and a lot of comedy and stuff like that but mostly it's just good conversations so this is going to continue okay don't worry about that um, I also want to address how sad the last couple of weeks have been just just for me and my tastes and the stuff I like because the the great Keith Flint passed away of of the prodigy and Man, that guy was like such an inspiration for me, um, such an influence on my work. Got to play with The Prodigy a couple years ago, and it was one of the best live shows I've ever seen. And and what's interesting about that is that it could have sucked. Like, it's an electronic-based, you know, group. Um, Keith Flint was like a f- was like a hype man dancer like not a lot of vocals in their music it's mostly electronic music came from the rave scene I've seen some DJs and stuff and it's always boring you know I've been to some shows like that not very exciting even even the most famous sort of you know uh successful DJs usually not a very good show in my opinion you know but Prodigy always had like a live drummer and a guitar player, and it was the whole thing was pretty punk rock and very British. Um, you know, at certain points in my life, they were my favorite band. I remember when I saw the Breathe video; I was, was pretty, you know, young kid, and uh, I couldn't believe how cool it was. It was it was life changing. I would say that that video got me, because all I was listening to at the time was rap music, and seeing that made me more interested in like alternative culture, and then kind of opened my eyes to other styles of music and, and I investigated it. I remember my grandmother let me pick two CDs for my birthday, and so I picked Prodigy, Fatherland, and Wu-Tang Forever. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good, Grandma. Thank you. Thank you for sending me that photo of yourself for my birthday last year. That was cool. It's just a good gift right there. Um, so rest in peace, peace Keith Flint. Um, maybe Maybe that's a good topic for this episode. I mean... The Prodigy were an interesting group because, like I said, born out of the rave scene, Liam Howlett, he created the group. He called himself the Prodigy based on the synth that he was using. You know, the Prodigy synth. It was like an old analog synth that you would have to tune yourself. And you could sequence songs, whole songs, right in the keyboard. Um, I don't think it was MIDI-based. I think it was mostly, you know, old-school subtractive synthesis and... uh, he would write these crazy songs because unlike a lot of producers that do his style of music, he has an extensive musical background. He's a classically trained piano player. And so he was putting on these raves, but he wanted to add something a little bit different to them. So he added a guy named Maxim Reality, who was uh, 
he was like a, a reggaeton MC, like a hype man. Um, he added him as a as a vocalist, and then he added a couple other people as as like dancers. Because back then, like you'd have these um, you'd have these raves and these DJs, and they'd kind of bring their own dancers sometimes, and maybe they'd be dancing on stage or maybe they'd be dancing in the crowd. And so Keith Flint was one of those people. Um, he's kind of like a thrill seeker. He was actually like a motocross guy, um, and he got into you know the group just because he was showing up to all these raves and dancing and he was just very charismatic but he didn't look how we know him to look he looked kind of like like a soccer fan or something and the other dancer was this guy named Leroy Thornhill who was who very much looked like a British soccer fan and that was kind of their style like they just looked so strange altogether like Maxim would wear this sort of like medieval garb and stuff on stage he'd wear like helmets and like metal gloves and shit and then Matt, and then um, Keith would wear kind of like, you know, rave stuff like painters masks and smocks and things like that. And then he started wearing more kind of like bondagey kind of things. And then they added this guitar player named Sharky, and and she would play kind of like metal riffs. And and then they added a live drummer too. And then the band kind of started to take off at that point, and they got signed to XL Records, which is still the coolest record label in the world to me. I mean, nowadays they have Prodigy and Radiohead and Tyler the Creator and Dizzy Rascal, and just lots of lots of British and American music that I really like. Um, so they kind of started to build uh, a fan base that way, and they their first big tour was, I think it was opening for Moby, which is interesting. Um, I, think, I think this would have been, yeah, this would have been kind of early 90s uh, when he kind of started to break through, and that was the tour, was the two bands, and I, I know they were sharing a tour bus, and I don't think that went too well. Um... And so they, you know, they released a, an album called The Prodigy Experience, and then, and then that was, I think that was '92, and then in '94 they released a, another record called Music for the Jilted Generation, and that was a little more alternative. Like there's a single on there called Poison. I'll play it on here. And it took, you know, the hyperspeed rave music meant for, like, you know, doing MDMA to and stuff and slowed it way down and just focused on grooves. And he started to become a little... Liam began to become a little more influenced by, like, industrial culture. And he was, like, became, like, obsessed with New York hip-hop. And so he was a little bit more Beastie Boys with its dirty beats. And start, he started sampling Wu-Tang and things like that. And so that... And then... So that came out, and towards the end of the touring cycle for that, Keith started unveiling this new look, which was like, he, he, he would wear eye makeup, and he had no eyebrows now, and he had a tongue piercing and a nose piercing, and he shaved a line down the middle of his head, he dyed his hair, and he started wearing, like I said, more bondagey clothing, and like vinyl pants and stuff, and became like a little bit more of a, like a, a, a traveling freak show where everybody in the group looked totally different, and, uh, and the song started to get a little harder, and he sampled Dave Grohl playing drums, and he sampled Nirvana, and Tom Morello started to get involved. And then that's where the third record came out, Fat of the Land, which changed my life and a lot of other people's lives. And it was just this new genre of music. It was like, it was like true crossover alternative music, where it was, um, it was these heavy beats, but these guitars also, and it was electronic music, but it was, you know, they'd have Cool Keith on a song, um, who 
what like Cool Keith rapped on a fake shark song called The Real Zombie, and my main reason for wanting him, I mean, I love Cool Keith, but what got me into him was Fat of the Land. Um, and when we were working on the song, I said, I just want you to do something like Diesel Power, which is the song he did with Prodigy. <laughs> So it, they started to become this, this unique situation that was kind of gothy and kind of hip-hop and alternative. And it was really its own thing, and it, and it kind of took over the world. Like, there's footage of them playing, like, Victoria's Secret shows, and, and uh, you know, they're on MTV, like, all the time. And Breathe came out, and it was huge. And Firestarter came out before that, and that was, that was massive. You know, it was just the timing of it was so perfect. And the way Keith looked was just so intriguing. And... Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it was it was an interesting time in music where something like that could really work. And I remember there's a song called "Smack My Bitch Up," and and that's actually the chorus. "Smack My Bitch Up" is an Ultramagnetic MC's uh, sample, which is Cool Keith's hip hop group from the early '90s. And the video was just so shocking. Um, and I remember I remember people wanted it banned. I remember the Beastie Boys wanted wanted them off a bill because of the title of that song. Because you got to remember, the one dude from Beastie Boys was married to the the singer of Bikini Kill, and it was very, it was controversial to have the two acts on the bill at the same time. Where, you know, one one would be considered kind of like a feminist act, and the other act had like a a, a song with a title like that. So, they they took a lot of heat for that. I remember that, but that record was just so incredible, and Tom Morello plays on it. That the opening riff for Firestarter is actually a, I think it's a Violent Femmes sample. Um, and uh, and he, Liam Hallett just had this way of taking music and sampling it and recreating it in a way that no one else had ever heard before. And it was totally innovative. And and when I when I see bands like D'Antward now or, or whoever, it, I mean, it had to be a direct response to Prodigy, like, you know, it, it seems it seems like that to me too. Like a lot of current rap that's like shocking visually, like Prodigy were doing that. You know, and so uh, it's sad he's gone, man. They were so good, and it, it sucks because they were away for a long time. I mean, Keith Keith wasn't even on the record that came out right after Fat of the Land. Well, not right after the follow up, which is called Always Outnumbered, Never Outgunned. And I think it's because of substance abuse problems, and then it seems like he and Liam were able to patch things up, and then they were on the next record, Invaders. And then I remember when I saw them on on Riot Fest a couple years ago, he looked so good, like he was in such good shape, and uh, they were just phenomenal. So what a hit we've taken, like losing one of the great frontmen of our time. So we'll miss you, Keith. other person we're missing is Brody Stevens he's a stand-up comedian he's so funny and everyone loved him and uh like Keith Flint he took his own life also so that's so sad and it's it's one of those things where I knew I knew of Brody Stevens and I really and I liked him and everyone liked him but I didn't really get into his stuff until after he passed away unfortunately I've been kind of like binge listening to to him and he was so funny and 
and uh, there's this story about how um, Crystalia told the story about how Brody Stevens was doing a 15-minute spot at the comedy store a couple years ago, and it was empty in there. It was like one in the morning or something. And it went, it started off empty, and he started crushing so hard that people started coming in from outside of the room to watch, and then the room started to fill up, and then 15 minutes went by, and he's like, okay, thank you very much. And they were like, no, keep going. And then the, the lady who was supposed to go on after him was like, just just go, Brody, just do it. And so he's like, okay. So he did another 15 minutes, and that went even better. And then and the crowd was just dying and loving it. And then he was supposed to get off, and then the next guy was like, no, just keep going. And he did an hour. He's supposed to do 15 minutes, and he did an hour. And so and he was like a warm-up guy for, for uh, Tom Segura and all these other comedians. And so I miss him, too. Maybe I should play a clip of him so you can hear what I'm talking about. Very good looking. Uh, I've I've done a lot of modeling in Pakistan. I am uh, currently on the cover of Camel Beat. You're in good hands, guys. You're in very good hands. I'm professional. I've been in this business now for six weeks. I'm doing things. I was on Last Comic Standing. Thank you. Season four, episode one. <laughs> Did great on that. Signed a television development deal with the Al Jazeera Network. <laughs> We're producing the first English-speaking sitcom on the Telemundo channel. <laughs> Stay with me, hear a joke, give me a chuckle. Help me out. <laughs> this is my life. I flew in through Detroit to get here. Nothing wrong with that. My mom's from Detroit. Yes, Michigan, you got it. Sleeping tonight in Palm Desert, surrounded by staff. <laughs> Stay with me. Chuckle with me. I get it. Very hairy. Growing up, most kids in my neighborhood had Flintstone vitamins. Somehow I had Rogaine chewables. <laughs> yes, I'm retiring that joke. You got it. Tonight, I retire these jokes. No more. You remember me from Premium Blend in 99 at the 92nd Street Y in New York. They chopped me up. They edited everything out, but I'm back 13 years later. 13 years to get the perfect 30. You got it, 13 going on 30. Which was a movie with the girl who's married to Ben Affleck. Pull it around, you got it. The chick from Alias. Things are going great, stay with me, positive push. You got it, I help you. You help me, I scratch your back, you shave mine. We miss you, Brody. Really funny guy, really good dude. Um, the the comedy store, which is where he would often perform, won't be the same without him. He was always there. Um, yeah, so that's that's sad he's gone. You know, it it's interesting too because we live in a day and age where you can see on social media somebody's last stuff they did, and then you know a couple hours later they're not here anymore. And that's that's what's interesting is he had promoted his show that night, and then the next day he was gone. So. It's, uh, he must have been struggling, so that's very sad. And same with Keith Flint. Um, anyway, not trying to be a downer here. I'd rather, I, I prefer to celebrate this cool stuff people did when they go. 
rather than dwell on on their passing but both these guys were important artistic figures so it's sad to see them go um i was hoping to, i'd get to see prodigy again and uh i'm i know they canceled their whole tour they're on right now so i'd be curious to see if they continue without keith um considering they they sometimes would put out he i should say liam hallett would sometimes put up music without keith so it'll be interesting to see what what choice is made um with his passing i'm gonna leave you with uh i know it's a short episode this week but uh i don't want to i don't want to fuck around too much on it um i want to leave you with a cool liam howlett the prodigy interview that uh that i heard so thank you for listening again um this is another LA episode I'll be signing off on right now. Uh, the, the other podcast I'm doing, Comedy Here Often, um, it's going to be a little more, like I said, more comedy central, centralized. And then this one will be a little more music centralized with more personal conversations. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. I heard Grandmaster Flash and the Wheels of Steel. That was the first sort of do-it-yourself record for me, you know. And when I heard that record, I was like, it was as if... All I had to do to make music was to buy some turntables and, and, and learn how to scratch. I remember being at school and working through my six-week holiday at school um, just to get to some Technics and a, and a mixer and basically like for the next, I think I was about 15 and for the next sort of year I was just stayed in all the time and just learn how to do that. Armed with his turntables, Liam started DJing and he soon got a regular set at a club in Essex called The Barn and it was the place where the prodigy was conceived. I suppose it was our meeting ground really, you know, whatever you did, you know, if you was going out for the weekend and stuff, you'd always have a Friday night down at The Barn. People used to come down from London every week, you know, because it was such a good, it was such a wicked night. Yeah, it was a wicked, yeah. wicked club. Um, and it was real, and all the people there were really into it. Me and Leroy used to, you know, used to dance, and to be quite honest, I, I went down there, I'd never danced anywhere in my entire life, ever. Not even at a wedding reception, you know, and, um... For sure. No, for sure. I wouldn't say Leroy sort of taught me to dance, um, although everything that I do has stemmed from dancing with Leroy. You know, sort of saying that Leroy taught me to dance, sort of summons thoughts of us sort of putting on our favourite tracks in, in, you know, at home in the, in the bedroom or in the front room or something, and, um, you know, him saying, you know, left ear, right there, and, you know, turn, and, you know, as if you like some dance studio, that's not at all. One thing clearly sticks in my head was was a time we were on the beach and it was about around sort of it must have been five in the morning or something there's about 300 people there and i was djing at the back of a transit van and this guy came up to me with you know long long hair which is key and he was like oh the tune you were playing last week just and it went and tried to sing it and I pulled it out, I think it was the right one, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll chuck some of these tracks down and some like it. And I'll sort you out a tape. So, yeah, cool. And then the next week he turns up, and, um, chucks me the tape, says, oh, that track's on there and a few others, I reckon you'll be into it. And on the other side's my stuff. 
So of course I got home, chucked the tape on, listened to the track that I wanted to hear, yeah, and I was, you know, buzzing, it was really cool. Checked out the other stuff, you know, and you don't expect to know people who can write music 